0: No, I, I love the church and appreciate you. I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you turn to 1 Corinthians 6, I've been preaching verse by verse through 1 Corinthians 6 in, in our church, and I understand Brother Tyler Prater was here last week, and um, he was a good friend of mine in college and a good influence on me. I think he was in maybe 2 Corinthians, if I'm uh, if I'm understanding that correctly. Um, But we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 12 through 20. um, We'll start with verse 12, but not necessarily cover that. There's so much good stuff in 12 and 13 and and on through there. But I want to give kind of a theology of the body, your physical body tonight. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse number 12. All things are lawful unto me. But all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God hath... Both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But... He that's joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore... Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I'd like to have a word of prayer with you, if I may. Our Father, we come before you together tonight and our our lives are, are intertwined with our body. There is the spiritual aspect of us and there's the side of us that communes with you and fellowships with you. But then there's the part of us that does our hair every day, and brushes our teeth, and puts food into our mouths, and we speak with one another, and we uh, we look a certain way, and and all of it, whether we think about it or not, all of it is part of who we are, and part of what we can do to glorify you. And so I pray for those that are here on this evening, that that they, that we can all think of our body in a unique and a different way after tonight. And so I just pray your help on it uh, tonight, Lord. We pray that as we gather together, truly the heart, like Pastor Thompson said, is is just to hear the word and to understand it and to love it. And if there's something we need to change, even in our thinking about it, would you help us do that and help us to have the humility to do that and to just seek you. We thank you for this time together in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I figured in light of the recent Roe versus Wade and the uh, subsequent arguments of the my body, my choice, then I thought let's look at the let's look at our body from the perspective of the scriptures and understand that that our lives are so intertwined with the body, even your spiritual life. It's you are not just. A consciousness that you can upload into a computer someday and it will then be able to be downloaded into some other avatar. You're not, your body is not just an avatar for the real you. Your body is actually intertwined with you. I mean, there's a part of you that is, it, it, it's, it's carrying your spirit, yes, but your body is you as well. Either are a body and a soul of emotions and a spirit. And some of you look in the mirror at your body, and no matter how old we get, we men go, honey, you married a Greek god. I mean, look, and it doesn't matter how big your belly gets. You, you still see yourself as, as a chiseled, chiseled man. And, and the women are like the opposite, you know? It feels like you find and nitpick all the problems, no matter how beautiful you are. You just point out, oh, but do you think I look, I look terrible? And oh, this is... And you fill in all the problems there. Now, this is not a sermon on body image. I think I think we get enough of that in, in, in culture and, and be kind to yourself and love yourself and all that kind of messaging. And that's not what this sermon is about. In, in fact, it's kind of the opposite of that. It's a little bit of of downplaying the body instead of indulging in the body, which is what the Corinthians were doing. They were were viewing their bodies as as almost this non-essential kind of part of their spiritual life. They were dismissive of what they were doing with their bodies and not necessarily considering it sinful or not as sinful as it could be considered. And so the Apostle Paul is, is bringing them To understand that what they do with their body is connected to the spiritual side of their lives. I mean, it absolutely is. And he's he's not only showing that it's sinful, but he's showing how sinful what they're doing with their bodies actually is. Now, some sermons on sexual purity, if you read it there, he's talking about uh, uh, going to prostitutes, harlots there. And, and so some sermons on sexual purity would be really practical and bouncing the eyes and guarding the mind and all of that. But the Apostle Paul doesn't necessarily go into the practical aspects of how to stay sexually pure. He just goes straight to the theology of what your body is and helps you to think about your body the way God thinks about your body as a Christian. And for Paul, that seems to be motivation enough. It seems to be that if we can correct your theology on the body, and you can understand, the Apostle Paul is almost like he's saying, if you can understand that your body is connected to your spirit in a unique way, then then, then if you can get straight on that, then it'll help you stay sexually pure. Now, there were the Stoics in their days. I don't know exactly. The Scriptures don't tell us how much influence they had. But we see through the book that there's all kinds of issues going on in the church. In chapter 5, there's a guy sleeping with his mother's, wife, his, his father's wife. And, and, uh, and, and there's all kinds of issues about marriage in chapter 7. And, offering, and, and eating meat offered to idols. And so many questions and problems in the church. And here in this chapter, there's, this, there's almost this openness about going to the harlots, about, well, my body is separate from my spirit. There seems to be this understanding, this Gnosticism, this Stoic influence in the church that, well, the body and the spirit are separated. So I'm a Christian. Paul taught us about eternal security. I'm, if I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. And, and we're already seated together with him in heavenly places. So we're like angels. So what we do with our body doesn't matter, right? And there's a whole chapter on the resurrection in chapter 15 that he says, well, no, your body does matter and it'll be resurrected and it too can glorify God. But here in this chapter, then he's he's correcting their bad theology. And then on top of bad theology, they also have a past. I mean, if you, if you read about Corinth as a city and you understand where they're coming from and the things that they were saved out of, you see that it was a horrible, horrible place to, uh, to be. So they have a past. And you might be in here. And even if you're a Christian, you might have been saved out of some really tough backgrounds. We have a girl in our church, and I was talking to a pastor about his church. He says, on any given Sunday, we have, and he counted it up, we have eight or nine lesbians that will, former lesbians that will attend our services. We have one that just got saved, and she was in the process of transitioning and, and prostitution and and. Satanism and addictions and and I'm talking about she when she got saved she met with my wife after getting uh, after meeting another guy in our church that had sexual addictions and he got saved and he's changing and 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 she meets him and sees the change in his life and then she meets with my wife at our kitchen table and she gets saved and I'm talking about she has changed she is different she's gone through discipleship she's coming to our college class and she we just came through a book called the purity principle and the death of poor as is the one we're in right now, and, and she's into it. She wants to change. There's no question about the heart that desires uh, this new life that she has in, in the Lord. And yet, the habits that she spent years building up don't necessarily go away immediately. I mean, there's a past to her life, and, and connecting to peers in non-sexual ways now is, is just difficult. And, and it's hard for somebody to do that. It's not easy. And so the, the habits there, I'm not saying God can't break them. The power of God's been working in her life. But I'm saying that with the past, there's a lot to overcome. And there's a lot of things to get over once you've been into that, uh, into that lifestyle. And the Apostle Paul is dealing with a church that's in a city where sexual imagery is everywhere. I mean, it's connected to worship. The, the, the biggest temple in their town was the temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love, the goddess of sensuality. 1,200 male priests with long hair and 1,200 female priests with shaved heads would be these temple prostitutes that in the name of worship, they would go to the brothel and that was their worship. So the body was connected to the spiritual through these ecstatic experiences, through these experiences of worship. And the Apostle Paul is dealing with a church full of people from that town. And, and with that kind of a past. And so, if we get saved, you don't, uh, you know, maybe when you first got saved, you thought, I'm never going to sin again. I'm good. I, I, I can't believe, I, I don't think I could ever, I could ever turn my back on Jesus Christ for what he's done for me. I, I want to live for him for the rest of my life until you're blindsided by that temptation again. And you're like, wait a minute, nobody told me this was going to be hard. I actually have to live for God now. This is really difficult, and it's not that you're automatically free from temptation. I mean, the great adversary is constantly fighting against you, and you have a past, and there's, and there's habits that are built up in your body and in your mind, and there's things that you really have to work to overcome. And the Apostle Paul is saying uh, in verse number 13, meats for the belly and the belly for meats, this is kind of this, this saying of their day is that, well, uh, I, I just give to the appetites that I want to give. I, I indulge in the appetites that I have. If my belly is hungry, then I, I, I fill it with meat. That's what it's for, and that's where, I, that's where I go. Whatever my flesh craves and desires, that's, that's what we will do. It was kind of the live, let live mentality. And he says, if that's the saying of the day, well, look at the rest of verse 13. But God shall destroy both it and them. Well, well, meats are, are just going to be so short-termed. To, to give your life to the indulgences of the temporary is so foolish. First John says, The world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So the meat's for belly, the belly for meats. But he says, but that's just... This life is so temporary, it's just going to be gone. Oh, what's going to last? What should I do that's going to last beyond this life? Verse 13 Um, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body's not for fornication, but for the Lord, And, and the Lord for the body. Okay, so what is my body for? If it's not just indulging in this life, he says, well, it's for the Lord, and the way you use your body is, is for the Lord, and and by the way, when you're doing that, the Lord is for the body. I mean, it goes both ways, that God wants you to use your body for His glory, and you are to use your body for His glory. There's mutual benefits and protections from this world. Don't think of this body as though it's just, well, it's just this short-term thing. It's just what, what I give to. Does not really matter? But your body is so much more than just something that's going to pass away. He says, no, it's, it's for the Lord. It, this, is, this is something that uh, um, uh, is, is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Verse 14, and God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his power. And he's saying this this your body even has an eternal aspect to it. There will be a resurrected body that your body will be a reflection of. I don't exactly know how it's all going to play out. When, when What if somebody's cremated? What if somebody's in a, an accident? What age will they be resurrected? I don't know the answers of those things. But we'll, be, we'll have this, this perfect body, this perfect resurrected body. And he says, even your body is going to be important because why? Verse 15, know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ. The members of Christ. So your body, not only your spirit, but I'm talking about your body, this flesh that you're made of. When, when you were saved, you were put into Christ. Ephesians, uh, I, I mean Galatians says, as many of you as been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. therefore if any man be in Christ... He's a new creature, right? So you're, you're, you're made into a new creature, and that's not just a spiritual aspect. There's a body aspect to your salvation, too. That when you're placed into Jesus Christ, then, then he gets a hold of your body, too. And your body then is a a part of your Christianity. Not to be saved, I'm just saying. It's going to be a reflection of who you are as a person. The Holy Ghost fills you. But I never really noticed this verse 15 before. But know ye not that your bodies, the physical stuff that you're made up of, are the members of Christ. One author said, The body is the locus where we experience life, death, sickness, and sexuality. In short our creatureliness, and our position in the realm of nature, it becomes, when you're saved, listen, your body and the whole of you become exclusive to Jesus Christ. You become Jesus Christ. You're members with Christ. You're placed into Christ, and your body becomes a member of Christ. When my wife and I first started dating, I wish I could say I had a whole lot of prospects of those chasing me, but it was a bunch of guys chasing her, you know? But when we were starting to date, then she had to say no to all the suitors that were chasing after her. It says, no, she's mine, boys. Sorry. We're exclusive. We are, are dating only each other right now, and there's no room for anybody else. Now, uh, you're, not, you're not dating Jesus. Let's not make this weird. Uh, but... The idea is when you're saved, you become exclusive to Jesus. There's no room for anybody else. There's there's a, a no to everybody else that's out there. So a theology of your body, listen, the theology of your body says this, my body is exclusively Christ's. There's room for nobody else in this relationship. When I became a Christian, he got even... My body. The union that's with Jesus Christ is exclusive. I'm I'm placed into him and he's for me and my body is for him. I'm talking about even your body. And so verse 15, he says, he's going to the theology of it now. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Well, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? Well, God forbid. So by, by dismissing the spiritual side of their physical life, I mean, trying to separate and make distinct the spirit from the body, he's saying, well, no, if, you are, if you're treating your body as though it's no big deal, and sure, I can go to a harlot. He says, don't you know that union with Christ and, and you physically unite with a harlot will... Well, that's incompatible. You're exclusive to Jesus. That's not okay. God forbid. That's the strongest negative there. Perish the thought. Absolutely not. Your body can't just be used for any any type of indulgence that you want. Well, why not? Verse sixteen. What know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? Malachi, Jesus, God instituted the process of marriage in the garden, and you'll leave father and mother and cleave to your, uh, uh, your husband or wife, and they too shall be, do you know the rest of the verse? One flesh, the sexual union. They too shall be one flesh. And so to, to break apart the picture of marriage and to join with a, uh, with a harlot, he's saying, is, is breaking apart the very picture of what marriage is, which is exclusivity to a spouse and where, where he's uh, spiritualizing that in a sense is, look, our bodies are supposed to be that kind of connected to the Lord and exclusively devoted to him and to his glory. And to go outside of that union, to go outside of that, well, that's not just no big deal. It's not just a one-night stand. It's not just friends with benefits. It's not just that it's its just something we do, and it's not really a big deal. He says, oh, it's not only not a big deal, but it is a picture of, of breaking union with Jesus Christ. He's not talking about losing their salvation or anything like that, but he's talk, he's saying... Any any act like this is rebellion against your maker. It's absolutely rebellion against God. It's, It's renouncing Jesus' lordship of your life. It's saying, I'm the Lord of my life. I can do with my body what I want to do. He says, well, that's not right. Verse 17, he that's joined to the Lord is one spirit. You should be exclusive to the Lord. If you break that realm, then you're, you're breaking into the realm of Satan. Well, it's just a glance. It's just an affair. It's just a, it's, it's no big deal. It's not that big of a deal. You're making too big of a deal about it. No, if we treat it and just, just treat sexual sins like there's all kinds of excuses and there's all kinds of reasons and well I have my reasons and well you don't know what it's like at home and and if you're trying to justify some kind of sin that's in your life and you're allowing to creep into your life the apostle Paul says oh no you don't understand even the theology of it verse 18 says it like this flee fornication Joseph had to literally flee fornication. He, he literally ran away from fornication. Fornication is just the, the, the word pornea in Greek from where we get our word pornography. Any kind of sexual sin, any kind of sexual sin outside, uh, 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 going beyond the realm and the boundaries of marriage, he says, flee, run away from that. Every sin, look at the rest of verse 18. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. It's outside the body. It, it, it's, it's, well, you can steal, you can murder, you could, you know, there's all kinds of bad sins out there. We get that. But he says that's, that's kind of external to the body. But verse number 18, but he, the second half of 18, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. There's a unique kind of grip That sexual sin places upon your heart. Because there's an emotional bind and bond that happens in sexual sins that other kinds of sins don't even have the kind of grip and the bind and the bond on your heart that sexual sins do. That's what he's saying. There's a unique aspect to sexual sins and to take God's beautiful gift of sexual intimacy with, with one and to, and to degrade it into just a transaction, just this interaction with somebody as though it's no big deal, well, that's, and to act like that's no big deal, act like that's no problem. He's saying, no, let's see this the way God sees that and let's flee from that. You might be in here and you're feeling the grip of sexual sin on your throat. I don't know if you expected, you know, you thought, oh, it's a guest preacher. We'll have a nice little encouraging sermon. And now he's, he's, man, I'm struggling in this area. I need some, well, don't keep struggling solo. Find a pastor and get some help. Find some accountability. Get into a group. Get somewhere where you can be honest with somebody and be able to say, man, I needed this. I I need to learn how to flee fornication because I haven't been able to flee it very well lately. And God wants to get a hold of your heart. He wants to get a hold of your body. God wants your body to be used for Him. Why is my body so important? what, What is all this about my body? Why? Well, here's why, verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Why is your body so important? Because your body is the temple. It's the house. A temple is just a house where the gods live. And the house where the God lives is your body. When you were saved, the Holy Ghost came into you. And your body then becomes the house where God lives. We have a mosque right next door to our church. And there's a bunch of cubby holes lined up there. And when they come for, especially their Friday uh, prayer time, they all take off their shoes and put them in the little cubbies before going into the mosque. Why? Why? because they don't want to defile the temple. It would be defiling for them to go into their mosque with shoes on. Certain Hindu temples don't allow non-Hindus in because that would be defiling to their temple. And God says, well, the Hindus have their temples and the Muslims have their temples. And my temple is your body. That's where God lives, in your body. So your body becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. That's why your body is so important because it's not not just something that is for my needs and my desires, but my body is no longer my own. I'm bought with a price, verse 20 says, for you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, yes, and in your spirit, which are God's. Well, I glorify, I glorify God, by, you know, being really personal and meditative, but God looks on the heart, you know, man looks on the outside and God looks on the heart, so it doesn't really matter what I look like on the outside. Well, I think it does, because your body is God's house. That's, That's the temple of God. And so your body does end up mattering. And what you do with your body does end up mattering. I don't have to preach on hairstyles. You know, you can all have my hairstyle and and, uh, you be okay there. But even sometimes, you know, there might be church standards for camp. If they go to a certain camp, well, let's not have this. And maybe platform standards about a certain hairstyle. And you say, why do they do that? What's the deal? Well, it might be just because we're trying to uh, show to a culture what we believe that, that we believe God values a body. And so there will be appearance differences from the world and the culture. And certain types of piercings or tattoos might have certain associations that are out there with the world. And yes, culture changes. And, and who knows how much culture will change over time. And, and, and sometimes the, the, the rules are related to cultures. An American church won't look the same as an African church and a Chinese church. I get all of that. But related and compared to our cultures, we can say to a culture, God is living in this house. My body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in me. And I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. Therefore, I want to glorify God in my body and in my spirit. Because these are God's. This is God's body and this is God's spirit. Not against you if you are, are, you know, might line up and look a certain way. But that's some of the reasonings that, oh, why does camp have this, uh, uh, you know, certain dress code? How come we have this on a certain youth activity? How come it has to be this way? Well, it might be that the church is just trying to say, well, because we want to reflect that we believe our bodies matter before God. And we want to glorify God in our body and in our spirit. Some people, I had a professor in Bible college that was a little bit overweight. And he was about five foot seven and I don't know how much he weighed, but he said, my body is a temple. Well, I'm building a mega church. And God convicted him over time and he ended up losing about 130 pounds or something like that. And uh, so he couldn't use that joke anymore. But you know, he said, as a, as a grandpa, I just felt convicted that I wanted to be there for my grandkids. And I wanted, to, I wanted to be healthy and be able to spend time with them. And I wanted to use this body to not just meats for the belly, the belly, not just indulge it and not just constantly stuff it and feed my body. But he said, I wanted to, I wanted to give it to the Lord. And I wanted my body to be a reflection of glorifying God. And, and God's used him in other people's life to say, man, Brother Jet, you motivated me. Thank you for that. And, and to see him keep off the weight and stay healthy. And that's a good thing. I think sometimes in Southern California, we can get a little carried away with that. And, and your body can become a God. It can become an idol. It can become the thing you focus on the most, even more than God. And I'm not talking about that. But I think there is something to health and fitness and staying fit and trim and trying to stay healthy and trying to eat right and, and really trying to glorify God in your body. Your body is a part of you. It's the part that people see. It's the, it's the snap decisions that people make. It's the way that people will judge what's important to you based on the way you talk and the way you uh, look and present yourself. And, and so things that are destructive to the body I don't believe would be glorifying to God. I don't necessarily have a, a verse in Scripture about smoking and, and doing drugs and all, you know, maintaining your hygiene and all that kind of stuff. But, but I believe the, there would be things that would be obviously wrong for the body. They'd be destructive to your body. They would not be glorifying to, to the Lord by doing this with your body. I believe good hygiene would be something that can be glorifying to God. To not have good hygiene would be, I mean, those are some obvious things. And so you might be in here saying, I've never really thought about my body quite like, like there's this spiritual aspect to my body. For the Apostle Paul, it was mostly in terms of sexual purity. It was mostly in terms of just saying that, that if you're being strangled by sin, if you're being strangled by, by a, a bad kind of theology or trying to brush it under the rug or treat it like it's no big deal, the theology of it is saying it actually is a big deal. To God, my body really does matter. And what I do with my body, what I put in front of my body, including in front of my eyes, well, that, that absolutely matters. So it's like the theology of your body is that, man, Christ is the eternal redeemer of not only your spirit, but also your body. And, and he's calling you to glorify God in your body and in your spirit. I, I have to view that anything that's defiling to uh, this, this temple is defiling. Uh, a- anything that's uh, connected to sexual impurity is defiling his temple. Christ's lordship changes everything, including your body. So what do I do with my body? Well, I want to reflect with my body my relationship with the Lord. And if you come in here saying, I want to do that with my body too. I want want my body to reflect my relationship with the Lord. I want it to glorify God in my body and to keep it pure. Pure. I think it would be wonderful if there's somebody in here that most in line with the text would be sexual impurity. And if there's somebody in here that's saying, I'm that, I'm, I'm, I, I haven't been living for the Lord in my body, especially in the area of sexual impurity, and I need to get that right. Well, tonight would be the night to get that right. Not necessarily going to have a full come forward invitation or anything like that. But it's saying, man, I, I don't want to wreck my life through what I'm doing with my body. I want to get that thing right. I want to get that. I, I want to get pure with the Lord. I want to walk with him. If you humbled yourself today, uh, tonight, and said, oh, I, want to, I want to dedicate my, my body to the Lord. I think that would be wonderful. I think that would be a huge step of victory in glorifying to God. I'm talking to married people. I'm talking to single people talking to young people, I'm talking to older people, I'm saying that what we do with our body really actually does matter. Don't let pride grip you so tightly that, well, I can do whatever I want. The spirit that the Apostle Paul was was battling against was saying, sure, you might have freedom to be able to do whatever you want, but is it glorifying to the Lord? Let's glorify God even in our bodies.